Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu com, code GLOW. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this you can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Well, it's that time of the year again when the media briefly acknowledges the existence of hundreds of thousands of migrant workers. It's warming up outside, and our attention turns to Canada's farms, where temporary foreign workers have been arriving from Mexico and the Caribbean and from elsewhere. And I note, with no snark, the much-needed coverage that is increasingly published in the spring and summertime. Just the other day, I read that five migrant farm workers have died in Canada since mid-March. Four of them while they were quarantined for COVID. This is awful news, but it is good to see that the press is paying attention to it. Paying attention to people who are so far from where most of us can see them. Of course, 
there are thousands of other migrant workers who are much closer to home. In fact, they are in our homes. Nannies and cleaners and other domestic workers are just as vulnerable as other migrant workers, and though they are not out of sight, they are usually out of mind. It's so unusual to actually hear their voices telling their own stories, which is why I'm very glad to bring you today's story from reporter Sula Green. It comes to you just as the federal government is praising itself for an initiative that Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada is calling one of the, quote, most inclusive and innovative programs ever launched to extend to essential workers and international graduates a pathway to PR, permanent residency. The quote continues, from bricklayers to bus drivers to custodians, the range of eligible occupations has never been more inclusive. That's what IRCC told CTV News. I don't know, perhaps that's true, but according to the Migrant Rights Network, the government's new program still excludes 1.18 million undocumented residents, refugees, and international students who are excluded. They, they simply don't fit into the new rules. And you'll hear why the rules and the system itself remains so dangerous for so many people. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Sam Pillsworth, Kyla Will, Laurel Burton, Debbie Alohi, Alex Tsang, Sarira Morelli, Erica Thompson, and Omar. My name is Omar. I'm a software developer living in Toronto, and I support Canada Land because it's increasingly important to call out corporate Canadian media. I come to work at 7 o'clock, and uh, when I come, my madam will wake up by then, and we'll talk for about 15 minutes of what I will... Um, prepare for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and um, the activities for the kids for the whole day. This is Jay DeLuca. She works as a full-time nanny for a family just outside of Toronto. About 7.15, I will start preparing their lunchbox and their breakfast until 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, the kids will come down. Um, they will wake up and eat their breakfast from 8 o'clock to 8.45, I will prep them for school, including breakfast, getting dressed, and packing their bags. About 8.45, we will go out of the house and I'll bring them to school. As soon as I come back, I will go up and um, bring the laundry down and wash uh, one batch while the machine is running. I will go to the kitchen from nine o'clock. I will be in the kitchen to one o'clock. While cooking, um, I will start um, tidying up everything that I had used for in the morning, uh, put them in the machine, run the machine, prep everything for cooking. I will prep first for their lunch. After I do that, I have to cook the dinner because um, I prepare a different uh, menu for the adults and a different menu for the kids. Around one o'clock, 
um, 1.30, depending if my boss have calls or not. Then I would um, vacuum the floor and mop the floor uh, from the first floor to the second floor. And um, from 2.30 to around um, 3.30, I will deep clean the, the toilets. Um, and um, around um, around 3.20, I will pick up the kids and stay at the playground or have a play date till 5 o'clock. I will uh, bring the kids home. We'll, we'll arrive at 5.10. By then, I have to prep them, clean them up. And after that, I will do the things that I did not um, finish, like uh, put the laundry in the dryer. And at 6 o'clock, I go home. The first time I spoke with Jay, it was a Sunday afternoon. She told me it was the only time she had off all week. COVID-19 had made a hard job even harder. Oh my God. Um, it just turned the, the bad to worse. COVID made it like a little bit, like, um, like it's not a little bit, it's actually worse. It, it, you know, like, um, on top of the other work that I do and everybody's at home before I only prepare lunch packs. And, you know, like, you know, I just have to prepare the dinner afterwards. Now I have to prepare everything, the breakfast, the lunch, and the dinner for everybody. In the beginning, especially the beginning of COVID, the schools were not um, organized, you know, and parents were in a panic as well because, you know, like nobody's teaching the kids. Like we have to all jump in. I, I am teaching them too. They are teaching them too. So aside from all those things that I have to do, I have to take care of their spelling. I have to, you know, like help out with them, teaching them how to write, you know, um, additional stuff. Plus I have to disinfect the, the whole house. Jay is originally from the Philippines. She is one of the 25,000 migrant care workers in Canada who've been disproportionately affected by the pandemic. Care workers were among the first to be called back to work when provinces and territories reopened, and many of them never stopped working to begin with. Instead, they absorbed the incredible burden of caring for others while their own lives remained at risk. But Jay's taken many risks to be in Canada today. The first was making the decision to migrate in 2015. At first, I wasn't really um, planning to come. Um, I'm planning more on probably Europe or some somewhere there. But because uh, my friends um, kept telling me that, you know, in Canada, you can be PR, you have a future after PR, you can choose whatever career you want, you can study, you can do all these things, you know, like um, at least uh, move forward. Jay is the mother of two girls. Their names is Tessa and um, Thea. The second one, they're both girls and um, currently studying. I left them when when my second child was only two months old. For many years, Jay worked in Hong Kong as a care worker so she could be close to her daughters. Because it's easier for me to uh, go home back and forth on long weekends. Um, I get to go home. So it's only like two hours um, traveling every time uh, going back to Hong Kong and Philippines. But as they grew up, Jay started thinking about which place might offer her family the best future. In Canada, you can be PR, you have a future. 
PR, that's what it came down to for Jay. The opportunity to become a permanent resident in Canada, something that wasn't possible in Hong Kong. Because once she had her PR, she could bring her children over. That was always the goal. That's why I actually wanted to bring them here, to give them good opportunities too. I cannot bring back the, the days that I already lost. I guess it's just the guilt of um, working abroad, you know. It's especially hard for Jay because she knows what it's like to have parents who left home for work. As of now, I haven't seen my daughter since, since I came here. It's pretty big because I, I am a product of um, parents who, who are working abroad too. So I kind of feel um, sorry for myself, although I know that they're doing it for my own sake. Because I, I know the feeling, so I don't really want my kids to go through with that. But when I actually um, left for Hong Kong, um, it's, um, it's a big decision too because I knew, what was, I knew what was coming. And I knew that probably, you know, broken home, um, you know, my kids will grow up um, without me. Because I'm a hands-on mom, I do take care of my kids on my own. And I never left, when I was with them, I never left them for a second. Like, I always bring them everywhere I go. You're going to hear a lot about permanent residency in this story. You'll hear how PR remains just out of reach for so many migrant care workers, but why the promise of it is so fundamental to the working conditions that people like Jay face. From her first few steps off the plane, Jay felt the precarity of her situation. You know, like, I feel sorry for myself when I came here, like, nobody was picking me up because I was expecting my employers to pick me up as well, you know, to bring me to my friend because I don't know anything. Like, it's a good thing, like, uh, during that time, I came about one o'clock in the morning and I didn't even know what the address of my friend because I didn't expect that my employer would tell me to stay with my friend's house. But then again, I went to my friend's house and, you know, like, two o'clock, three o'clock and then... It was raining. Like I feel, like I feel like a you know like a homeless person with my luggage, and it was raining. I was wet. I was waiting two hours outside. Jay was hired as a living care worker via the temporary foreign worker program. Before hiring Jay, her employer had to obtain a labor market impact assessment, an LMIA, a costly document that demonstrates that they needed a foreign worker to fill the role. With that LMIA. Jay received a closed work permit, which allowed her to migrate to Canada and work, but only for that family. Because care workers are only allowed to work for the employer who obtained the LMIA, they become vulnerable to abusive and exploitative working conditions. For Jay, that happened pretty quickly. When I came to their house, the room was not, was, was not even set. Like It was a, like a storeroom. And I, when I got there, like I got about, I think, um, 10 o'clock and I have to clean up the room. And um, I didn't even have a bed. From there, things got worse. Jay was living in that storeroom and working 15 hours a day, six days a week. Though she was hired as a nanny, she spent hours cleaning and cooking for the family. Her pay at the time? 1100 That's my monthly pay. Despite being overworked and underpaid for months, she managed. But a conflict over her food proved to be Jay's breaking point. They're supposed to actually buy my food and, you know, like uh, ask me what I want, you know, like um, give me food. She wasn't allowed to eat what she cooked for the family and rarely had time to make herself separate meals. 
I cook for them, but I couldn't cook my own food. So I had to bring cooked food that has vinegar so it will stay even without the fridge. I was eating um, tuna in can for, uh, for a month. During those first few months, Jay was working almost nonstop. She barely had a few minutes of peace to eat her meals, let alone cook for herself. But finally, in December, her employer asked her to take vacation. During a few months, it was okay. You know, like I could, I could have, um, I, I, I was okay until, until the day that they forced me to take my vacation because they didn't want to pay the two weeks of vacation afterwards. Even though she'd rather have been paid for those unused vacation days, Jay made the most of her time off. She spent time at a friend's house where she was finally able to cook a proper meal for herself. But when she came home, she found her employers unwilling to let her store her leftovers in their fridge. And one time they, they wanted to throw my food because I like I bring food on Saturdays and Sunday. I cook on my friend's house and like I bring it to my 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 employer's house, but they said that they don't want to um, like, I cannot put anything on the fridge because it's meat. But before coming to Canada, they said that that will have a space in the fridge where I can put my food. But now, suddenly, it's not allowed. So I said, why are you why are you throwing away my food? When I bought it, not you. You're supposed to provide for me. Jay tried to reason with her employers. When I showed them the contract, you said you will provide the food and provide me this and you're not even paying for my food why am i going to throw it away if you if you don't want my food in your fridge because they said that their friends are going to laugh at them because if they see meat in the fridge i said like um you can provide a little fridge in my room if you don't want um you know all these things and they said no i don't care just throw it away jay had suffered through months of unpaid overtime and verbal harassment all while living in a tiny storeroom. But having her employer throw out food she'd paid for, that was the final straw. I did not come here as a, you know, like a imbecile, you know, but I felt like super low, like like um, dehumanized, you know, like it made me feel, it made me feel like, do I really have to, to endure all of this? And then I just said, like, I'm sorry, I cannot take this anymore. Like, I know I have to, like, give two weeks notice supposed to be. But I said, like, I, 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 I didn't have money in my pocket during that time. You know, like, um, like, I just, I just didn't think. I just, I just left, you know, like, uh, because I couldn't take it anymore. Like, on top of the food and then the demeaning words. And so Jay left her first job in Canada. Well, I called my friend. I didn't have a choice. So I just called her and can you please pay for my Uber? Because I I put everything in, in a garbage bag, my things, because I had to pack that night because they wanted me to like, if you're going to leave, leave, like leave now, uh, you know, I cannot uh, come back. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. 
We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Listening to Jay, I had so many questions. Isn't that illegal? Aren't they supposed to pay you a living wage? How can they get away with not paying overtime? What about the food they said they'd provide? The answer goes back to that promise of PR. Migrant care workers come to Canada alone. They are tied to one employer, And in order to become a permanent resident, they have to surmount a number of hurdles. The requirements for education is high school graduate of Canadian Canadian standard. In the Philippines, that's already like a college, university. And then on top of that, that we are required um, uh, English um, exam. Level 5 English, which, by the way, in in the citizenship exam, they only require you level 4 English. It's not like I'm applying for... A skilled job in in Canada. We are applying as a caregiver, but they require us to have uh, at least um, one year um, post-secondary plus level five English. Migrant care workers also have to work for 24 months in the profession they came here for. That means if they quit or get fired before that initial two-year period, they can't get a job in a restaurant or hospital, even if they might be qualified for it. Nope. They have to find another employer who already has or is willing to get an LMIA. Workers who lose the employment with the employer that their permit is tied to have to find another employer that is approved to hire migrant care workers. That's Karen Koch, Project and Campaigns Coordinator for the Migrant Workers Alliance for Change. In the in-between time, if their work permit expires, then they lose access to health care. They can't qualify for income supports for EI. And because workers, for the most part, still live in the homes of their employers, then when they lose that work, they lose their housing. On top of all that, migrant care workers are on a tight deadline. They have to make this 24-month requirement in three years. 
So the longer a migrant care worker is without work, the further away the possibility is of being able to apply for permanent residency. And only with permanent residency can workers then apply to be reunited with their families. But despite the risks, Jay isn't the only one to leave her job because of the working conditions. Thanks so much for for talking with me tonight. Um, How's your Saturday going? Saturday was Sunday. Uh, So Saturday was holiday. So So it's holiday. So just stay home and just watch some movies. That's Harpreet, a migrant care worker from India. In 2017, she left her job in Cyprus because like Jay, she'd heard from friends that Canada was better. But the first family she worked for was abusive. I was working almost 19 hours per day. And when I was and when I was say like I need a holiday because I need take a re- I I want to rest for myself because I uh, I'm working so hard uh, in your house 19 hours and I need take rest and after she they was agree to give me the holiday and but there was so argument with me and then they was agree so I was spent there four months and. Even after the like uh, one month was a little bit okay, the second month is more worse. They don't uh, give me proper food, and they are just uh, they are bullying me all the time in front of the people. I would say like uh, I am a human, so not an animal. They are just to say like I'm nothing. Harpreet's employer was supposed to pay for her food. They didn't. On top of that, they paid her less than she'd been promised. So one day I said, I need the, my full salaries and there was an argument with me and they say like, no, we don't want to give you your full salary because my contract, according to the, my contract, my salary was $2,200 and they only give me $700. So Harpreet, who had only been in Canada four months and was just 26 years old, was thrown out onto the street. So, uh, and they say like, right away, you should go from my home. And I say like, is the, now is the 1, 1 a.m. where I will go? Because I don't know the area because I am new here and nobody's, no, my friends over here, no, my relatives here. And they said like, we don't care, you should go right now. So I packed my luggage 1 a.m. I left the house. I, I spent, I think, four hours in the park there was one small park and I was spent there for four hours and there was raining. Eventually, Harpreet met a friendly stranger who offered her a place to stay for the night. The next day, she made her way to a woman's shelter where she spent four days. That time was very, very hard time. I was like uh, totally upset. Like I was so nervous because that, that country was very new for me. Harpreet spent four months trying to find an employer who would get an LMIA. She finally landed one in Toronto. She's working in elder care now and loves it. Jay's search for a new employer took longer. It took me eight months to find the job, and it took me another eight months to process the papers. Like, I was so scared because the pathway that I follow, uh, the caregiver pathway that during the time I came, they only give you four years to complete the 24 months and apply for your permanent residency. But during that time, if you have a work permit, you can only work for that employer. There's another factor that makes having to leave a job extremely difficult for migrant care workers. They are often in debt because of recruiting fees they paid to get to Canada. 
Workers across the world turn to recruitment agencies to match them with employers. Some of these agencies are based in their home countries, like the Philippines, and some in Canada. A lot of them operate transnationally. Those agencies charge the care workers for their services, somewhere between $5,000 and $10,000. And since most care workers don't have that kind of cash lying around, recruiters pair them with a loan agency. When you're looking for a job and you wanted to go somewhere, you have to invest, right? So I invested as well like 5000 just for the agency fee. And that's still cheap because a lot of the girls, they pay sometimes 10000 Canadian. Jay was able to avoid relying on a loan agency, but still, she had to get the money from somewhere. My friend helped me out, so I borrowed from the bank a lending institution in Hong Kong. I borrowed at least um, 10000 Hong Kong dollars, but it took me a while to pay for it from here. In an email from the Department of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship, a spokesperson told me that, quote, the government of Canada continues to take meaningful action to root out immigration fraud and protect those who wish to come here. We are implementing several new measures to strengthen our system, including creating a new college to improve oversight of immigration consultants and to crack down on criminals. We're also investing over $50 million in various fraud prevention initiatives, which will increase investigations and enforcement, expand public awareness, and strengthen the oversight of consultants. Still, Jay arrived in Canada in debt, working for less than minimum wage while sending remittances home. So, given the tremendous costs involved, why do people like Harpreet and Jay choose to come to Canada? I asked Faye Faraday, a human rights lawyer. One thing that has uh, attracted migrant care workers to Canada is that globally it is the only migrant care worker policy that allows a possibility for um, applying for permanent resident status. So for a migrant care worker who has been migrating around the globe, um, being able to migrate to Canada offers them a possibility of uh, permanent status and stability so that they can reunify with their families. When that's the background, you can see how so many other layers of the experience that they have intensify the possibility of them being exploited. Over the past few decades, the road to PR has become more difficult for care workers. Along the way, new pathways have emerged, sometimes overlapping with existing ones. An advocate at Migrant Workers Alliance sent me an apparently simplified chart of all the different pathways since 1992. Let me tell you, it's not simple. And with each iteration of the pathway, the requirements become more and more stringent. What we've seen in the migrant care pathway systems is an increasing class stratification of that work and a prejudice against low-wage, racialized, working-class workers. Language and education requirements have become more rigorous. Often workers have to go back to school once in Canada. That means paying international student fees while working. What these increasing requirements are doing is they are steering the immigration system away from working class workers and towards what has come to be called high skilled. But really what it is, is prejudicing against low wage work and forcing workers who are in low wage work into increasingly low wage work um, and into more precarious work conditions. There's no cap on the number of workers who can be admitted to Canada, 
but there is a cap on how many can apply for permanent residency. Every calendar year, only 5,500 migrant care workers can apply for PR, split equally between those working with children and those working with people with disabilities and the elderly. The application spots fill up fast, so it's a race to complete all the requirements and submit the necessary documents. The latest changes to the pathway introduced in June of 2019 by the Trudeau government make it harder than ever before to get PR. I haven't heard uh, somebody, though, that was um, granted PR on the new program, but they give you all these ideas that, oh, now when you apply for Canada, when you come in, you can bring all your family with you and then you can apply. You don't need to finish the 24 months. You can apply right away the PR application and then they should give you like a pre-approved PR And then you finish your 24 months. But the problem is they didn't tell you that, you know, when you come here, technically you're not um, PR, you're just pre-approved. So your kids would be like international students. You still have to like stay in with your family uh, you're going to work for. Like we don't know because um, they always um, try to change. You think it's for the better, but it's actually getting, getting harder and harder. This latest pathway ostensibly makes it easier for migrants to bring their families with them, but it has the hardest requirements for entry yet. Because of this and last year's COVID-19 travel restrictions, no new care workers entered through this path in 2020. The requirements um, now to get into the program are the requirements that used to be required to be able to apply for PR after having arrived through the program, which means that way fewer people are able to even apply for the new pilots Um, to come to Canada. The efficacy of this program in 2021 remains to be seen. What we are really dealing with is the vast majority of the migrant care workers that are in the country came through previous versions of the program that continue to leave them at a disadvantage and leave them, leave PR out of reach for the vast majority of them. Harpreet and Jay applied through one of those previous versions. They both submitted their applications years ago, but... COVID-19 has brought already slow processing times to a standstill. It's almost two years, so I'm still waiting for my, uh, for my permanent residency emails. Migrant care workers who have applied for PR but whose work permits have lapsed in the meantime have something called implied status. With it, they can work but have expired health cards and social insurance numbers. This makes accessing health care uncertain and programs like CERB really difficult. Not only did the pandemic grind PR processing to a halt, but one in three migrant care workers lost their job. We saw a sort of a sudden uh, dramatic increase in workers who lost work, had no income, could not find a new employer and had nowhere to live. And so we had workers who were couch surfing with acquaintances or friends, a lot of workers who ended up in the shelter system and who did not qualify for uh, many of the services and supports that a lot of other workers can rely on. It's a twin crisis of economic impact and sort of like the work piece and wages and labor, as well as housing. And for the lucky ones, they have reported increased hours, duties, and stolen wages without the freedom of movement they once had. Jay is now a live-out care worker but still works 11 hours a day, five days a week for just over $2,200 a month. And with COVID-19, there's more work to do while conditions have gotten worse. 
as soon as I come in, I, I have to disinfect all the door handles and all the doors. And then, like, um, they do bring me back and forth, and I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. Even me that I was living out, I am being monitored. You know, I'm also scared. I'm really, really scared of um, COVID, you know, like uh, I don't know if, you know, somebody might be, you know, um, infected, but I have to, I cannot afford to have my my groceries be delivered. On top that they are very expensive, the, the online prices and, you know, like I have to pay all these delivery fees. I cannot do that because I'm, I'm I don't have extra money for that. Because, like, I've been working for them for three years. But, you know, like, my salary has been the same since the very beginning I I entered their house. Jay's been in Canada for five years. Because she struggled to find employment after that first family, it took her longer than she expected to meet the requirements to apply for PR. Until she gets PR, she can't bring over her kids. They're teenagers now. The problem is I need to support them as well. So if I go home... I would be there, but I don't. I, I wouldn't have money. And if I'm here, I would always be worried um, for them, what's happening to them in, in, in the Philippines. And for Jay, even though the job can be fulfilling, it's always tinged with the difficulty of being away from her family. Because like, like in my case, because I have kids in the Philippines, so I prefer to take care of kids because I do miss my kids. And, you know, like it makes me feel like I'm taking care of my kids when I'm taking care of somebody else's kids. But then again, it also makes me sad because I'm taking care of others' kids, but I couldn't take care of mine. In the years since Jay arrived in Canada, not much has changed for the better. And last year, the pandemic basically halted migration. In fact, by the end of March of this year, there were 12,000 applications from caregivers and their family members in the system. But the federal government has promised to address this backlog. In April, Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship, Marco Mendicino, announced a new plan to make at least 1,500 first-stage decisions on applications by the end of June and to finalize 6,000 PR applications for caregivers by the end of the year. Additionally, as part of the 2021 budget, the federal government committed funds to the creation of new digital platforms to speed up the immigration process. Still, advocates argue that these changes fall short. In their view, the recent announcement creates a short-term window for some to access PR, but keeps the fundamentals of a temporary immigration system intact. Instead, they demand full and permanent status for every worker in Canada, now to ensure that no one is left behind. First and foremost, the demand from workers, um, and not just care workers, but from all migrant and undocumented workers, is to have uh, full immigration status now. The fact of workers' status is the category that dictates working conditions and living conditions, access to services, access to basic rights. And it it, it is it, the fact of not having full immigration status is what creates different classes of workers. So it produces purposeful inequality in society and in the economy that puts workers at a disadvantage, that puts migrant and undocumented people at a disadvantage and prevents them from being able to access the things that they deserve and the rights that they do have. Throughout the pandemic, the importance of care work has been given lip service. But the reality for those who actually work these jobs seems to have only become more difficult and dangerous. 
It's hard to say if and when Jay will receive PR. It's hard because there's no decision, no no nothing. Like like I've been hanging for for more than a year. Harpreet failed her English test four times before passing her last one. Each test she paid for out of her own pocket. But Immigration Canada will likely only consider her first test. If she is denied PR, she'll slip into either implied or undocumented status. I hope that the government can hear our voices, you know. Um, we need to have a status, like a permanent status. That's what we need. That is your Canada land. Listen, limited time offer right now. There's no reason not to support us when it's a buck a month to see if you like supporting us. Click on the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join and see what this is about. It'll feel good to help us make this podcast that you listen to. Email me about it at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. We are on Twitter at Canadaland. Our website is canadaland.com. Our podcast Commons is doing a whole season on real estate stories and a new episode of that fantastic series drops this week. Go check that out. Sula Green produced this episode with Jeremy Kessler. Thank you, Jeremy, for everything. And they had editorial oversight from Andrea Schmidt. Our theme music is by SoCall. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like this show, please support it now while it's super cheap. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.